This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com slash podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, December the 12th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your slightly under-the-weather radar host, um, Shannon Jones, and I'm joined via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? I'm great, Shannon. I'm sorry to uh, hear that um, you're feeling not 100% today. Yeah, thank you, Todd. I'm I'm on the mend. Um, I had a call with my mother earlier this week, and she recommended, I guess you can call it like a brew of things from the cabinet. And uh, I think it's like apple cider vinegar and cayenne pepper. And so I tried the brew. And I don't know if you've ever had like prep for a colonoscopy or just eaten <laughs> oh, a bad no. taco. But I will say it works just not in the way that I intended it to. <laughs> But other than that, I'm all good, Todd. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'll be calling you for that recipe, Shannon. <laughs> I don't know, Todd. We might just have a product on the market now that Synergy has gone kaput. Some of these other, you know, human fecal companies that are out there, hey, we might have a product. And the show has oh. taken a, a dark turn. I apologize. But Todd, welcome. So glad to have you on the show. Hey, it's great to be here. It's hilarious. When I was trying to do the prep work for today's show, I think we probably could have filled five shows with all of the things that have happened in 2018 in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a wild roller coaster ride for sure. And in today's show, we're actually going to just break it down to what we think are maybe the top 10 healthcare stories of 2018. So I'm super excited to dive into this, Todd. Uh, let's just set the stage because the markets this year have been, uh, I guess you can call them dramatic. Yeah, dramatic is a good way to, to, to state it. It's almost like a tale of two different years all packed into this past 12 months, right? Um, and, you know, we've had the S&P basically now as it stands today as of filming, right? Things can change up a little bit less than 2%. Big change, obviously, from the, the big market move we saw last year. Um, and then we've had kind of like a, a weird dynamic in healthcare where pharmaceutical stocks have done pretty well and some other parts of healthcare have done pretty well. But bio has really not done that well. I've looked at the iShares Biotech Index, uh, Index ETF, that's the IBB, that's down on the year. So is the Healthcare Select um, Spider uh biotech ETF, that's down also. Uh, but if you look at the pharmaceuticals ETFs, those are up about 3.5%. And if you look at healthcare overall, uh, it's up almost 14%, so significant amount of outperformance. So really, listeners who are tuning in, if you're down this year, um, you may have a very different, different ex uh, amount of holdings in healthcare than some other of these listeners who may actually be up this year. Absolutely. And that's why I love doing uh, and reading through year in review shows like this, because you really get a sense of not just how the markets are performing, but really investor sentiment as well. And it really sets the tone and the stage for the upcoming year, which for us is 2019, which I think there are going to be a lot of catalysts to keep an eye on. Um, but speaking of this year, let's just dive right in, Todd. Um, I think 
we can say to start, uh, the Car T hype train has officially left the station here in 2018. Uh, 2017 was really all about Car T stocks. And the reason why there was so much hype was because it was this new innovative approach to really supercharge the body's own immune system to fight and target cancer. Well, as we have seen with many biopharma stocks along the way, just getting to approval is really the first hurdle of many. CAR-T stocks is no different. Um, Todd, CAR-T is just not yet that billion-dollar blockbuster that we were hoping to see. It's a great reminder, Shannon, of how oftentimes the um, the, the pre-launch expectations are are just too optimistic. I mean, everybody thought that these these therapies, which are incredibly complex and they're incredibly expensive, I think what like a half a million dollars uh, all in plus to have these um, gene therapies given to to patients. And I I think that you know yeah, it takes a long time some to get these things launched, kind of build up momentum for them. And maybe that's what we saw here in 2018 is that, you know, you had these great expectations coming into the year. You had Gilead Sciences go out and buy Kite Pharma, spending nearly $12 billion to get its hand on that car T. Its sales this year, year to date, are only $183 million. And then you got Novartis's Kimraya. Uh, they developed that one in-house and launched that one as well last year. Its sales this year are only about $48 million. So you've got less than $250 million in sales through the third quarter uh, for CAR-T drugs that are on the market. And that is, like you said, very shy of kind of the blockbuster hype that you know was associated with these drugs. Yeah, and I think some of the challenges with CAR-T, um, they certainly haven't been exclusive to CAR-T. But when you consider that you're taking uh, a patient's T cells, taking them out of the body, then you're actually genetically modifying them in a lab and then putting them back into a patient. You can imagine the logistical steps that are required and also, too, just the manufacturing variability from patient to patient. And, of course, that also depends on the patient's health. That can change, too. So I think uh, the challenge of just logistics, oftentimes these patients also are in an inpatient setting, so they're hospitalized while they are receiving this CAR-T treatment. And so then the cost, you mentioned, you know, half a million dollars. Now that goes up exponentially um, when you start talking about all the other acute care costs that are associated with that too. Yeah, and I think that for investors listening, they say, okay, yeah, these CAR-Ts haven't lived up to expectations this year. What what could happen next year in 2019? I think, I mean, obviously now we're getting more data in that shows that these therapies are still durable. I think Ash earlier this month, yes, Carter showed had data that showed that 39% of patients still were in response after two years. That's good. You see durability like that, that helps to increase confidence among doctors and using it and payers and using it. Um, so maybe you get a nice little slower than hoped, but build in sales in 2019 that you want to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And certainly keep an eye on the reimbursement end of things. These drugs have had challenges just getting reimbursed by public and private payers. So that'll be another issue. But yes, I do think um, things will slowly turn around for CAR-T stocks. Um, on the flip side, uh, top story number two, there were some biopharma companies focused in heart health and specifically cholesterol-lowering drugs that did get a nice dose of some positive news in 2018. So that was that was phenomenal, most of which came from compelling study data that we had been waiting for. And it's encouraging because now we're starting to see movement in what is cardiovascular health. And honestly, heart health is so important. Um, 
cardiovascular events are the leading cause of death in the United States. So positive news on that end, Todd. Yeah, 800,000 deaths per year just in the United States from cardiovascular disease. And that's despite tens of millions of patients taking their statins as prescribed every day. There's undeniably uh, a need for new treatment options for people with cardiovascular disease. And that has led to the development of different you know, different classes of drugs. For example, you had the PCSK9 inhibitors that got launched from Amgen and Regeneron a couple years ago, similar to the CAR-T situation, blockbuster expectations prior to launch, and kind of anemic or lackluster uh, sales since then. That, however, could be changing because earlier this year, uh, Regeneron and Santa Fe are teamed up on their drug, um, Proloin, they reported cardiovascular outcomes data that shows that, yes, their PCSK9 inhibitor does reduce the risk of major cardiovascular events like heart attack and stroke. And that came on the heels of data from Amgen's drug, Repatha, last year that also said that. So now we have conviction that this class of drugs can reduce the risk of these events. And that could lead to, obviously, sales uh, going much higher from here for those drugs. You also had another drug for another class of drug, Vesepa, which is made by Amarin. And that drug's been on the, long on the market for a long time to lower um, triglyceride levels in people with really, really high triglyceride readings. And um, they came out in September and reported that, yeah, their purified fish oil, which is Vesepa, if you use that, that also can reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. So now you have, I guess, proof um, for both of these new uh, these approaches. And I wouldn't be shocked if you saw sales for PCSK9 inhibitors and Amarin's Vesepa soar in 2019. It'd be really interesting to watch how that plays out. Yeah, I totally agree. And when you consider that the PCSK9s and even Vesepa are really add-on treatments to statins. And that's really where they saw a lot of the benefit in the studies that came out this year. I think you definitely see a huge opportunity moving into 2019. So keep an eye on those stocks. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the leaders of the immuno-oncology front, specifically leaders who are producing a kind of drug called checkpoint inhibitors. Um, these PD-1s continue to dominate, but as you describe it, Todd, there have been, uh, I guess, cracks in the armor, so to speak. And really, the next key is combination therapies. How do you get them working together? Right. I mean, immuno-oncology has been the big story of this decade. And, you know, the launch of PD-1 drugs, Bristol-Myers, Opdivo, Merck's, Keytruda, um, they just have kind of revolutionized um, how we attack certain cancers like melanoma and lung cancer. And, but you know, now that they're being so widely used, we are starting to see that, okay, yeah, people do relapse um, after receiving these therapies. And yeah, some people don't respond to them. And maybe there are more side effects than we initially thought to their use. So you've got a bunch of different companies who've gone out and said, okay, well, how can we approve upon these PD-1 drugs? So they're running combination trial therapies where they're taking their drugs in development and using them alongside Updevo and Keytruda and some of these others in that same uh, class of drugs. And, you know, the hope had been that that would be a slam dunk, 
you take these drugs, they have a mechanism of actions that's X, you take match them up with the anti-PD-1s, they have the mechanism of Y, and sure enough, it all works perfectly, and you know, people, more people respond and ended up responding for longer periods. Unfortunately, some of that enthusiasm got you know, temp- tempered earlier this year, and that was because Insight had been doing a combination study uh, matching up its IDO inhibitor with a PD-1 inhibitor, and unfortunately, you know, when the trial results came in, that combo failed to outperform PD-1 use alone. And that really just threw a, a big monkey wrench in the concept of, wow, will combination therapies actually improve upon therapy or, or not? And Todd, I would dare say that that phase three trial failure with Insight's drug was probably the biggest pipeline failure, just because there was so much hype leading into that phase three readout, because everyone said, okay, these checkpoint inhibitors, we know that they work in some patients. And for those that do, you see some impressive results. But if we can start to combine with an IDO inhibitor, um, there are other combinations that have been tested and haven't really proven themselves out. But there was so much hype leading into this phase three study. I think this was probably the biggest heartbreak for many of us that just love this space. But yeah, I think a lot of chip in the armor when it comes to PD-1s. Definitely something to keep an eye on. I think just some of the hype related to these combination therapies has just been tempered uh, moving into 2018 and will probably continue to be so for 2019 as well. Yeah, I mean, there are 1,500 clinical trials still ongoing for clinical uh, for uh, combination therapies with PD-1s, 1,500, which is crazy. You know, it's up from 216 in 2016. So, yeah, PD-1s are going to remain the mainstay. I mean, if you look at Opdivo and Keytruda, the two top-selling ones, they, if you combine their sales together, they did almost $4 billion in sales last quarter. And, you know, if you look at estimates, um, you know, PD-1s could be $30 billion drugs uh, by 2025. So I think PD-1s will remain a mainstay, but for investors heading into 2019, just rein in a little bit of your optimism for any trial readouts that are accommodation-oriented. Excellent. So let's dive into top story number four, and that is related to gene editing. And for our listeners, for our investors out there, gene editing headlines likely have filled your news feeds over the past year, two years. Um, Some for good reasons, some for not so good reasons. But the promise and hype of gene editing, being able to actually go to the underlying cause of disease and correct it before the disease even starts, has been a huge opportunity. Obviously, a ton of investor enthusiasm. But what we saw in 2018 is that like any other biopharmaceutical asset, there are going to be setbacks. Todd, we saw that here with gene editing. Yeah, and I'd call it stutter steps. You know, I mean, there's 6,000 genetic diseases, and I think they affect about 350 million people worldwide. And a lot of those uh, genetic diseases don't have any treatment options available. So the whole idea of being able to, you know, go in and delete a piece of DNA or insert a piece of DNA that can, you know, change the way that we're producing proteins uh, to fix or address these genetic diseases is really exciting. Um, but again, stutter steps in 2018. The first big, I guess, stumble for for you know CRISPR, which is one of the main approaches for gene editing that, that's gotten a lot of attention, uh, happened in May when the FDA put a clinical trial, a hold actually, um, 
that delayed the start of a human clinical trial of Vertex and CRISPR therapeutics, um, CRISPR gene editing approach in patients with sickle cell disease. So that happened in May. Then in August, some optimism got renewed because Vertex and CRISPR were allowed to start human trials for um, beta thalassemia, which was the first time the U.S. company won an okay to, to start inhuman trials for the, that gene editing approach. Then the clinical trial got lifted up in October, again, adding a little bit more enthusiasm for, the, for it. And in November, Editas, which is a CRISPR therapeutics competitor, that they actually won FDA approval to start their human trials for a rare genetic disease that involves the retina. So for CRISPR, it's been kind of like that, okay, we're taking some steps forward, we're taking some steps backward, we want to make sure we get everything correct because you know we want to make sure that we don't run the risk of having off-target gene um, gene editing happen, where basically you've got all these repeats of genetic sequences in the body. We want to make sure we're only getting the one we want to be edited. And so I think some, some caution is warranted. But yeah, I created some stutter steps for that approach. Yeah. So you mentioned the off-target effects. Um, thinking about that, there are some studies that have been running that could indicate, of course, the increased risk of cancer associated with the CRISPR-Cas9 system. So something to watch. Um, may not necessarily be a deal breaker, especially if it gets approved for many uh, fatal diseases where there's a huge unmet need, but certainly puts a damper on just commercial viability if that is the case. Also, too, from a CRISPR perspective, um, there are studies that show actually our immune system may actually not work well with CRISPR. So there are some studies that said, A, CRISPR may not work in some patients, and then even those that it does actually work may actually elicit a response stronger than is necessary. So there could be some safety effects. I think all in all, though, as we see these first human trials get up and running and we start to see um, and hear about their pathway to approval, you can expect the regulators will be all over these companies and you can expect getting through to approval will be scrutinized. Yeah, and it's really early innings for the CRISPR-Cas9 style approach to gene editing. Not so much early innings for Sangamo's zinc uh, finger nuclease approach, which has been, you know, studies been going on since early 2000s for that approach. Actually, in September, they were dealt a blow when they reported disappointing results for a gene editing approach targeting Hunter syndrome. So that actually also dampened some of the enthusiasm for gene editing. So for CRISPR-Cas9, yeah, kind of early innings, and who knows when we'll finally actually get some late stage trial to digest. Won't happen in 2019, though, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the earliest we might start to see some data is maybe 2020 there, but some, certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, but moving ahead, our fifth top story um, is really centered around uh, a first here in biopharma land. And so 2018 was a year first for many different therapeutic assets and disease classes, but one in particular is a technology called RNAi, RNA interference. And it's a, basically a technique to silence troublesome genes. Uh, Todd, this is also a Nobel Prize winning therapy. Um, so a lot of expectations on the floor for the company behind this drug. Yeah, the whole concept of being of interfering with these messenger RNA uh, that is is basically allows for a gene to produce a protein. That is not a new concept. I mean, it's been around a long time. One of our 
uh, fellow fools, Brian O'Reilly, had a great article way back in 2007, so 11 years, about the promise of RNAi. And in 2018, we finally got the first approval of a drug that works this way. And that was uh, the FDA OK of Alnilam's on Petro. And with Onpatcho, it took them 16 years. It took the company on Island 16 years to actually successfully launch this drug. And it's got an eye-popping price tag, Todd. So we're looking at 450000 for a disease class that is really not that huge. Globally, I think we're looking at maybe 50,000 patients. And then here in the U.S., even smaller than that. What do you have to say about the, the runway for this particular drug here? It's great that we've been invalidated now on this approach and that we have this this option that's available for these patients because, you know, the, the, the disease we're talking about, hereditary transthyretin-mediated uh, amyloidosis, HADR was what we'll call it. Uh, it's, a, it's, you know, a debilitating and, and often a fatal genetic disease. So this, it's great that this has been approved. It's a relatively small market, um, addressable market, as you mentioned. And actually, the second RNAi, uh, was approved by the FDA in October when they approved Ionis and Axia's Tegseti. Um, so there's actually two similarly working um, RNAi drugs that are now on the market targeting this one approach, and that of course means that the, the, they're going to have to divide the you know the market opportunity between the two of them. Be very interesting to see whether or not one is a winner or one is a loser in 2019. So keep an eye on both of them. Absolutely. So on the other side of the break, we've got more top healthcare stories of 2018 to share. But first, a word from our friends at Cineos Health. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together eliminating traditional process obstacles, and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration, helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. All right, and we're back and continuing on with our top stories for 2018. Todd, it would not be biotech if it weren't for the pipeline blowups and setbacks that always seem to happen. 2018 was no exception to that, but there were some notable pipeline blowups this year. We could have done an entire show on swings and misses, right, Shannon? I mean, unfortunately, it's just the nature of the beast in biotech. It's notorious for its failed trials, like 90% of clinical trials to end up failing to pan out. So it's not shocking that there were a number of setbacks. One that might have been a little shocking, we've talked about on the show before, is Celgene's refused to file letter that it got in February from the FDA for its arguably most important pipeline drug, Ozonimod, which is a drug that is um, a hopeful uh, to be used in multiple sclerosis as an oral drug that would compete against uh, Galenia, which is a $3 billion plus drug. Celgene went out and paid $7 billion to land that drug. And everybody was looking forward to, to that one getting filed early last year, uh, early this year, and then um, uh, getting approved um, you know, before the end of this year, didn't happen. You know, unfortunately, the FDA looked at the application and said, no, we can't review this. 
you're going to have to get together more information and resubmit it to us. And I think that is truly one of the more embarrassing stories of 2018. And this is Celgene. Um, this is one of the big biotechs that every little biotech hopes to become one day. And so to have that management misstep to where there's not even enough evidence for the FDA to review to say that this drug is approvable is, you know, unquestionably disappointing. Um, I am encouraged, though, with Celgene. I know they've had some management shuffles throughout the year, so I think they're getting back on track. Um, But certainly that was one uh, that just had a lot of people scratching their heads. The next one uh, we talked a little bit about, but of course that was Insight and their phase three flop as well. Yeah, the IDO inhibitor uh, being used with PD-1 um, that came up short in April, and obviously that that caused a big sell-off in inside shares, and it caused IDO programs at, at various different companies to get shuttered. Uh, that was a devastating blow. But even more devastating than than Insight's failure was probably the uh, news that J and J wasn't going to continue or that it was abandoning development of Garon's uh, Metalstat, a drug for or therapy for myelofibrosis, myelodysplastic syndromes. Yeah, and uh, I know we've talked about this at length with Geron. Um, this has been one of the more polarizing biotech stocks to watch. Um, and I think you definitely saw the red flags have been there leading up to this breakup with J&J. Um, but ultimately, what you have now is Geron just kind of holding on, um, hoping maybe a partner might come in, but really their cash is dwindling. I think this will be a stock that um, I'd say if I had to, to rank the ones that I don't think will make it, this would probably be near the top of that list. And 2019 will be key, right? Because they could theoretically suffer a cash crunch by the end of next year. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do with this drug. If J&J had gone forward and taken this drug into phase three, it would have been a huge payday. It would be a very different story for investors in Geron. You know, Geron's shares lost 62% of their value when J&J walked away. And I looked early this morning, only trading at $1.40 a share. That's down from 6 bucks prior to the decision back in September. Obviously, a big bummer for those shareholders. The list goes on and on, though, Shannon, right? I mean, you hinted at it at the top of the show, Synergy Pharmaceuticals probably uh, making that list even longer this year, this morning announcing that they're actually going to go and declare bankruptcy in order to sell their assets off to Bausch and Loam for about $200 million. Um, Synergy obviously had launched a constipation drug uh, to, to, to battle against Linzess, the top seller in the indication. However, they just had too much debt in the books. They weren't able to 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 refinance that debt, and you know, with sales just not ramping up nearly as quickly as as was necessary. Now they've they've had to basically shut down their operations and fire sale the rest of their assets. Yeah, so I'm sure there'll be many more to come in 2019. But moving on, of course, the flip side of biotech pipeline blowups, the things you can expect in a given year, but you can also expect deals, deals, and more deals. And 2018 did not disappoint, Todd Campbell. So many deals, Shannon. I mean, oh my God, again, another whole show right here. We're going to crank through a few of them that were notable to us anyways. I mean, you had in the first nine months of 2018 across all sectors, $3.3 trillion worth of deals. And about 40% of those deals uh, were here in the U.S. alone. Two of those deals, uh, the biggest um, to me in healthcare, was the acquisition of Aetna by CVS, 
which is a $69 billion deal. Uh, that closed earlier, actually on, a, on November 28th, so just before this month. And then you also had the $67 billion tie-up between Cigna and the pharmacy benefit manager Express Scripts, which was supposed to close this year, but now it looks like it won't close until June. Yeah, and I think the CVS Aetna deal is one that I don't think investors fully appreciate just yet. Because when you think about it, CVS has been your neighborhood retail pharmacy that you go to. Now they've acquired this huge health insurer, and now you're really starting to see the strategy that they're going after. They're going to transform from this neighborhood uh, retail pharmacy store to a much bigger healthcare conglomerate. They've been doing smaller acquisitions along the way to build that up. But, I mean, they've got right now 1,100 walk-in clinics. And then they've also managing prescription benefits of more than 94 million people. So you can see that CVS is going to be a stock to watch just because there's so much going on with it. Right. They're now an insurer. They're um, a pharmacy benefit manager. They're an actually pharmacy fulfillment company. They're a, you know, they've got all of, in, in their healthcare provider. So, and I think that's what, what this year showed us with the deal, CVS Aetna deal and the Cigna Express Scripts deal is that these companies feel like the way to win in the future is to get as vertically integrated as possible, to cut out the middlemen as much as possible so that they can maintain um, margin. And, and not have to pay those middlemen their costs. But those were only some of the deals. I mean, we, other deals that happened this year in healthcare that were notable to me was was private equity taking Athena Health Private for $5.7 billion. That was big in healthcare IT area. Um, you had Roche's acquisition for $5.3 billion of Foundation Medicine, a company that uses your, um, your DNA to help uh, uh, doctors figure out how to treat your cancer. You had Medtronic buying Mazor Robotics, a robotic surgery company, for $1.6 billion. You had Illumina buying PacBio um, in gene sequencing for $1.2 billion. There were just so many deals on and on. And that doesn't even include, you had Celgene's big deal at the beginning of the year where they went out and bought that CAR-T uh, company, Juno Therapeutics, for about $9 billion. Just so many deals we could be talking about. Yeah, so many deals. Uh, one other notable one, Bristol-Myers Squibb. Uh, this was actually the largest biotech licensing fee in history, but they paid $1 billion uh, to develop Nectar's NKTR214, basically combination approach, another huge deal. But yes, there's so many deals this year. We could go on and on. Really, truly could be its own episode, but want to make sure we keep it going. So let's dive into uh, the next top story, and that is all related to everyone's favorite topic, marijuana. Um, we know that in Canada, Canada finally legalized adult use recreational marijuana in October of this year. But really, the big first was with GW Pharmaceuticals and their CBD product, Epidiolex. Of, of course, the recreational market opportunity is huge and everyone's focused this. But from a healthcare perspective, I think the biggest news in marijuana this year was the validation of cannabidiol, CBD, which is the second most common um, chemical cannabinoid that's found in the cannabis sativa plant. For years, people have been using um, CBD oil uh, to help reduce you know, seizures in epilepsy patients, but that was based on anecdotal evidence. What GD Pharmaceuticals did is they went out and created a purified formulation of CBD, then took it through all of the different phases of trials to prove it out scientifically that yes, indeed, if you take CBD, you can reduce 
the risk of having seizures. Specifically, uh, this drug, uh, Epidiolex, um, was tested in Dravat syndrome patients and Lex-Gastaut syndrome patients, which are two types of epilepsy. They're very hard to treat with existing anti-epileptics. The FDA approved Epidiolex this past summer, and then the DEA gave it very favorable uh, scheduling. So that drug is now on the market. And again, like I said, big because it validated the concept of, hey, you know, this chemical cannabinoid from the marijuana plant does scientifically improve outcomes for patients. Yeah, so very exciting. I think you'll see even more companies diving into this space in 2019 as well. So certainly an area to keep an eye on. Um, Also, too, 2018 saw the historic public debut of biotech unicorn Moderna Therapeutics. That's ticker symbol MRNA. Todd, do you think this company is really worth the hype that has gone into it? (laughs) There were so many biotech IPOs this year. And I think one of the reasons that biotech was actually down this year was because there was just so much more supply coming onto the market. And, you know, after a few couple of years of, of, of rallying for these stocks, they just you know, investors' appetite just started to wane for him. And potentially, you know, does Modena mark the peak of this cycle for biotech? I I guess that remains to be seen. But yeah, $604 million IPO that ends up valuing, if you include the shares that weren't uh, issued out to the public, the company at $7.5 billion, which is a really, really big valuation for a company that has its most uh, advanced drug in phase two, and and you know may not even have you know data from phase two trials that that you know we can get excited about until at least 2020. Yeah, but they do have a pretty stacked pipeline. You're looking at 10 therapies and human trials, um, 11 preclinical. And one of the things I do like about this company is that it's not just about one particular type of therapy or technology. They are really building an R&D platform. And so the applications of using messenger RNA um, to identify targets, to tweak targets, I think is really promising. Um, So certainly something to keep an eye on. One of the things that always I caution when I see the IP market, to just blow up in a particular year, you can expect to see, as a result of that, many more pipeline blowups. If you think about it, the more money you're throwing at many of these very small biotechs, the higher the likelihood that many of these won't make it. So that's always kind of uh, a pause for me heading into the new year when I see that we've come off a really strong IPO market. But this one is definitely one to watch. That's Um, an awesome point, Shannon, before we jump into number 10. That's an awesome point to remember because you're right. When you have so much money that's just sloshing around, it's no longer that only the best ideas attract that venture capital. Now you've got a lot of different ideas that are attracting that venture capital. And that increases the risk that a lot of the exciting stocks that you know have come on an IPO to the last couple of years end up fizzling out. Absolutely. So to close out our 2018 year interview and healthcare show, Todd, we couldn't close this year out with at least mentioning Amazon at least once. I think for all of the industry-focused shows, Amazon comes up as a threat. Um, but this year is no different for healthcare. Matter of fact, uh, Warren Buffett famously called our rising healthcare cost a hungry tapeworm eating at the U.S. economy. And he actually did something about it in 2018, Todd. Yeah, yeah, this was a fascinating story. And, you know, Amazon has kind of been looking around the edges of healthcare for over a year. And then earlier this year, Amazon surprised everybody by teaming up with Berkshire Hathaway, so Warren Buffett's 
uh, shop and JP Morgan to create a brand new nonprofit venture with the goal of disrupting healthcare as we know it today. You know, obviously this is it's, it's going to, uh, they, they're very light on details on how they're going to do it. A lot of companies have been trying to change the game in healthcare. Um, but, you know, these are three huge employers, over a million employees combined, um, and they are tackling it head on. And what makes it really unique is that they've not set this up to be a for-profit venture. They've said, you know what, everything's on the table. Let's bring in some fresh, uh, best, best in, in the business minds and see how we can go about rethinking how we, we treat people so that you know, it's cheaper and people have better outcomes. Yeah, so a huge area to watch. And I would say, even back going back to Amazon, this wasn't the only thing they did in 2018 because they also bought a small growth company called PillPack, which I think was probably an even larger step for them and really demonstrating we are going after the healthcare space and we are a threat to be reckoned with. Yeah, over $300 billion a year spent on medication. And so, you know, a lot of people have been saying, okay, you know, what's gonna, what's Amazon going to do? Can it disrupt it? Is CVS in trouble? Is Rite Aid in trouble? What are, what's going to happen with these companies? What ended up happening is that Amazon went out and bought this really small startup uh, that has carved out this niche in, in providing these daily packets of all pills to people who are take multiple medications per day. And, you know, they're, they're highly automated um, they, it, you know, very technology oriented company. It fits very nicely to what Amazon wants to do. How that dovetails in with this future nonprofit, who knows, right? What that means for CVS and Rite Aid and Walgreens in 2019, we simply don't know yet. But it's a, certainly a very fascinating move by this company and one that, you know, investors shouldn't ignore. Absolutely. And so be sure to check us out in January as we come back and talk you, talk to you about some of the top stories you'll want to watch in 2019. But that is it for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to dive deep into many of these stories that we've covered in the past, be sure to check us out. We've actually got a YouTube channel now. If you go to youtube.com the Motley Fool, you'll be able to pull up all of our past episodes. And of course, if you're listening via iTunes or Stitcher, continue doing that as well. Um, but as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan for Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit SineosHealth.com slash podcast.